This week on the show, we're showing you advocating for FreeBSD in 2022 and beyond from the FreeBSD Foundation, NetBSD's 9.3 release, OpenSense's 2.7 release available as well, Cherry-based computer running KDE for the very first time, run FreeBSD 13.1 release on ARM64 in QMU on Apple Silicon natively, and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 468, Apples and Cherry, recorded on the 10th of August, 2022. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow to find the online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in uh, one way or the other, removing ads or give a personal thank you note or get a personal thank you note from us, then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. Welcome. A fresh week, a fresh episode for you. Uh, right into your ears and we start with advocating for FreeBSD in 2022 and beyond from the FreeBSD Foundation. Uh, so it starts off here saying, you know, Hercule Perot, uh, Sherlock Holmes, Jessica Fletcher, Dale Whitehead. What do all of these names have in common? They solve mysteries. Uh, it says, I love mysteries. The rush you get when all the clues come together to form the answer. Solve the puzzle. It's so satisfying. Now you might be wondering what solves a mystery or what solving a mystery has to do with the subject of this piece. Uh, is, you see, for me, figuring out the best way to advocate for FreeBSD is like solving a mystery. How are we going to get FreeBSD in front of the right people? Who are the right people? Why should they care? What tools should we be using? So many mysteries to be solved. Now for many folks, advocacy is also conflated with the dreaded M-word, marketing. I know, I know, it's even in my title. Uh, this article was written by Anne Dickinson, who's the uh, marketing director of, of the FreeBSD Foundation. Mm -hmm. In the course of my 20 plus years in this industry, I've heard the words sleazy, untrustworthy, and useless thrown around when discussing marketing departments. Many communities, especially those in open source, see very little value in the non-technical people selling that work. The thing is, I firmly believe marketing gets a bad rap. Of course, there are always a few bad apples, marketers who focus on fantasy rather than fact or spam or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, the type uh, those folks make defending the role incredibly difficult. However, the reality is marketing is essential for any open source project. And I've had a good look or the good luck to work with some of the best in the business. In fact, the team of marketing folks at the foundation works extremely hard to remain true to the heart of FreeBSD. We don't make up statistics. We don't oversell the features or make up something out of nothing. You can be sure that when you speak about the values of FreeBSD and what it brings, uh, or the work we're doing in support of the project, we're not spreading propaganda. We're instead speaking uh, to the benefits of using open source operating systems and becoming part of the community. Because now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about the marketing department of the foundation and our current and future advocacy efforts. Uh, so first is what we do, uh, advocacy and marketing, uh, whatever you call it, the foundation's effort in this area uh, covers a lot of ground. We create materials to help folks get started using FreeBSD. We promote the work that we do and others uh, do to improve the state of the operating system. We speak at non-BSD conferences to introduce and sometimes remind folks about FreeBSD and what they'll gain by using it. 
We sponsor and help organize the BSD-related events, such as vendor summits, and ensuring that companies using FreeBSDs have a place to be heard among the developers. We create marketing partnerships with like-minded organizations to make sure FreeBSD is in front of the widest possible audience. We create programs and materials to help you spread the word about the project. We also do outreach to media and podcasts, student groups and presentations, and of course, producing the bi-monthly FreeBSD journal, which is free now in case you hadn't checked it out. So now they say they're going to expand the team. Thanks to the generosity of the FreeBSD community, the foundation is able to add a marketing coordinator to the team. Uh, bringing on another person has allowed us to expand our efforts in social media, create more getting started content in the form of how-to guides, quick guides and videos, and perform additional outreach. We also have a new technical writer allowing for even more original content. However, that's just the beginning. So talking about where they're going, much like the technologies team's development project roadmap, uh, our team also plans ahead as what we're going to be promoting, when and where. Obviously, we have to be flexible with new developments, events, and partnerships arise. Uh, there was a Twitter thread recently discussing what else the foundation should be doing to spread the word about FreeBSD. It was great to see that some of the things mentioned were already in the works and on our schedule for the next few months. And it also uh, was a confirmation that we're on the same page as the members of the community. That being said, here are just some of the things that they're expecting to do in the near future. Uh, they have articles on security and FreeBSD and our efforts to improve FreeBSD and the desktop, training courses that could be given in person and online through places like LinkedIn Learning, uh, promoting FreeBSD in education, the OS course development at an undergraduate level with the possibility of entering other levels of education, working with community members to simplify the path to using FreeBSD, providing clearer documentation and getting started uh, documentation, as well as doing a FreeBSD introductory workshop at conferences like Scale, continuing to grow our social media presence with more FreeBSD success stories, case studies, and community member spotlights, and promoting the value of FreeBSD to corporations and individuals through company presentations and testimonials, uh, gaining more media interest or attention in FreeBSD through PR contacts, be that podcasts, interviews, articles, etc and redesign the resources page of the foundation website to make it easier to find tutorials by topic, uh, technical level, and type. And lastly, showcasing the impact FreeBSD has had on open source over the last 30 years, which is, that's something I think people don't always realize is that, you know, FreeBSD has been around in open source since the very beginning and has caused other projects to structure things in the way that has been successful for FreeBSD and, and has been kind of an example like that. Mm. They say, obviously, some of our efforts are more in-depth than others, and I'm sure the list will change as time goes on. Uh, you can be assured, however, that the marketing team here at the foundation will do all that we can to make FreeBSD part of the open source and operating system conversation. It's been said that FreeBSD is one of the best operating systems that you've never heard of. We mean to change that. Solving one mystery at a time. Now we get to the part where we where you come in. Over time, uh, I'm sure you've heard us say, we can't do this without you. Truer words have never been spoken. Uh, the fact is, we are a small but mighty team, and while we work hard to cover all the areas suitable for the project, we're always open to new ideas that you may have about spreading the word. If your company is using FreeBSD, please reach out so that we can uh, see about creating a testimonial. Share your success on social media or via the blog. Uh, we're also looking for guest bloggers. Uh, if there's an event, school group, coding club, meetup, or something in your area that uh, we should be attending, please let us know. I would be uh, incredibly remiss if I did not express our gratitude for those currently advocating for FreeBSD. 
folks like the FreeBSD Help on Twitter, Clara on social media and with its articles, uh, Robunugi and Gary H Tech on YouTube, uh, the Discover BSD newsletter, Vermidon's blog, and of course the BSD Now podcast. Uh, those guys. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I apologize to those we've already missed. Our resource page also includes more places to look for FreeBSD advice, uh, curriculum, and community. We're always looking uh, for updates to that page. So again, if we've missed anything, please send it our way. I've been part of the foundation team for a while now, and it's been quite a journey watching the advocacy program grow and change. So many mysteries solved and so many more to tackle. Thank you for your continued support of the FreeBSD project and foundation. We're looking forward to working together to shine an even brighter light on your favorite open source operating system. Yeah, cool. Rarely get this kind of insight, what they are planning to do and what they uh, are involved with. Okay, let's uh, switch over to NetBSD because version 9.3 has been released and we found on the NetBSD blog the announcement uh, which reads, the NetBSD project is pleased to announce NetBSD 9.3, the third release from the NetBSD 9 stable branch. It represents a selected subset of fixed deems, of fixes deemed important for security or stability reasons since the release of NetBSD 9.2 in May 2021, as well as some enhancements backported from the development branch. It is fully compatible with NetBSD 9.0 and users running 9.2 or an earlier release are strongly recommended to upgrade. Okay, so aside from many bug fixes, 9.3 includes backported improvements to suspend and resume support, various minor additions of new hardware to existing device drivers, compatibility with the UDF file systems created on Windows 10, enhanced support for newer Intel Gigabit Ethernet chipsets, better support for new Intel and AMD Zen 3 chipsets, support for configuring connections to Wi-Fi networks using sysinst, sysinstall, sysinst, support for VSF no, say again, support for WSFB-based X11 servers on the Commodore Amiga and minor performance improvements for the Zen hypervisor. Oh, all good things. The general NetBSD community is very excited about NetBSD 10.0, but it was deemed necessary to make this bug fix release available while we wait for the resolution of some compatibility problems in NetBSD current concerning the fast file system access control lists preventing the NetBSD 10 release. And you can also find the full uh, release notes in its entirety in the link they provided along of course with the link to the download how to get this and uh, any extra information they want you to know yep very nice so we see the BSDs growing uh, left and right okay next up in the news roundup we have OpenSense 22.7 is being released. This is a release-heavy episode. Yes, uh, lots of stuff happening. Uh -huh. So yeah, they say for more than seven and a half years now, OpenSense is driving innovation through modularizing and hardening the open source firewall with simple and reliable firmware upgrades, multi-language support, fast adoption of upstream software updates, as well as clear and stable two-clause BSD licensing. Uh -huh. So 22.7 is nicknamed Powerful Panther, <laughs> uh, features the upgrade to FreeBSD 13.1 with PHP 8.0, Falcon 5, uh, support for stacked VLANs and Intel Quick Assist, uh, DDoS protection using SYN cookies, uh, updated MVC slash API pages for IPsec status and unbound overrides, 
and new support for APC, UPSD, and the CrowdTech plugins, uh, plus much more. Uh, they do note that the Libre SSL flavor is scheduled for removal at the end of this series and will likely receive no further maintenance. Uh, software failing to work properly, starting with Tor, will have its plugin uh, removed from the flavor for now to be able to keep uh, updating the software with the latest versions in the OpenSSL flavor. The next major upgrade will automatically transition to OpenSSL, but we would uh, encourage everyone to switch uh, between 22.7.x for the least amount of impact. So, you know, switching from the LibreSSL to OpenSSL flavor kind of on your schedule instead of next time you do a, a version upgrade, uh, you know, the make one change at a time and it's it, that way you know which thing caused the problem. Uh, and it's generally good advice. Yeah, so lots of updates to the system and the interface, improvements to the firewall, including port aliases and improving performance there. Um, the DHCP no longer automatically adds link local addresses to bridges if the IPv6 service is running on it, a bunch more. Improvements to the uh, firmware, IPsec support, uh, the UI, a bunch of plugins get updated, including the one for uh, uninterruptible power supplies. Uh, and fixes for Nginx and Postfix. Uh, but the big thing being upgrading to FreeBSD 13.1, which uh, improves a whole bunch of things, including performance and stability. Oh, yeah. They also list some known issues and limitations at the bottom. Nice. Uh, the Diffie-Hellman parameters are no longer available in OpenVPN server configuration and now fixed uh, to using the RFC 7919 bit key. The only downside may be lower performance on older machines. Uh, there's also an uh, issue with the slash var MFS uh, feature. It was reduced to just the var log scope in order to avoid future issues with plugins requiring persistent storage in other places under slash var. In practice, people who used the slash var MFS had no benefit over uh, it with software requiring persistent storage of slash var anyway. Uh, periodic configuration files, writes to slash var are negligible on your SSD-based system. You're not going to you know, wear out the flash or mm. anything. The DynDNS plugin is still available due to the fact that the DD client did not release a non-development release so far since we uh, made the DD client uh, plugin. Uh, availability, therefore, might change after uh, in later versions. Uh, the console firmware update will now display text-based change logs for the updates to be installed if available, and you can use the arrow keys to scroll through the change log or press Q to quit and, and resume. And finally, uh, manual IP or DHCP v6 tracking mode now requires a proper prefix range given like its counterpart with a static address. If a previous prefix ID type input is detected, only setting the lower 64 bits of the IPv6 address, a warning is emitted and the ID is treated as the upper 64 bits of an IPv6 address instead. If your DHCP v6 server does not start properly, please fix the range that you put in the configuration. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, next is a uh, article from the register. Cherry-based computer runs KDE for the first time. And the subtitle is Digital Security via Processor Design, Hardware-Enforced Protection, and a Friendly Desktop. So the article starts, 
Wayland and the KDE Plasma Desktop now run on Cherry BSD, the special version of the FreeBSD for ARM's experimental Morello hardware. The University of Cambridge's Capability Hardware Enhanced Risk Instructions Project, or Cherry for short, has been underway for some years and usable results are starting to emerge. It aims to bake extra hardware-level security protections into processors, and ARM's Morello board incorporates that research work by Cherry. And Ruslan Bukin, a researcher at Cambridge's Computer Science Department and also a FreeBSD contributor, has now ported the Wayland Display Server and KDE Desktop to CherryBSD. As he puts it, quote, I don't have a single C pointer in the kernel. DRM, Panfrost, Wayland, QT, KDE, the entire user space graphical stack. Altogether, millions, if not billions, question mark, of lines of code. Remember this moment because in five to ten years, capabilities will be in your jeans pocket. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Cool. Yeah, so uh, Panfrost is the graphics driver for the Morello GPU. And then Wayland is the display system instead of X11. And QT is the graphical kind of toolkit that KDE uses. Yeah, and all that comes together. But yeah, uh, all of that. It uh, doesn't have a normal any normal C pointers. It all uses the cherry stuff so that all of them are bounds checked. And it means that it's enforced by the hardware not possible to have a buffer overflow or access memory that you're not supposed to. Uh, so each buff or each pointer basically includes information about how big it's supposed to be and who's allowed to access it. And a program can't just make up a pointer and access memory like it can now. And so this will mitigate most of the, honestly, most common uh, software vulnerabilities by just making the hardware make it not work. Yeah, it won't allow that. So Ruslan's work builds on that of Google's Alexander Richardson. Over three months, Richardson ported the bulk of the KDE stack, displaying it remotely both by forwarding X11 to another machine over SSH and using XVNC, as described in a separate report linked from that, uh, Ruslan has ported Wayland, DRM, and Panfrost in order to run the whole stack on Cherry BSD. A few years ago, in 2019, the register reported when the project got government funding, and earlier this year when the aforementioned ARM prototype hardware began to ship. Uh, coming just six months later, this experimental port is a significant step forward and a very promising sign. The Cherry project originally targeted the MIPS processor architecture, but more recently has moved its focus to include RISC-V and ARM as well. Not only is ARM a much more significant processor architecture these days, but because ARM Limited started out as an offshoot of Acorn computers, it's also headquartered in Cambridge. Yeah, I think the, the most exciting thing here is the fact that ARM actually has hardware you can buy that has all these Cherry features now. Uh, whereas, you know, I've been following Cherry for probably 10 years now. Um, maybe not quite that long. Um, but, you know, it was all emulators and fpgas and, and you know extremely extremely slow stuff mm -hmm. but now they have high performance hardware where you can you know i think ruslan on twitter has even shown playing video games <laughs> yeah yeah especially having a desktop or something that you can work with and do something in mm -hmm. is uh, the next step of adopting that to a wider audience yeah so it goes on uh digital security via hardware design cherry brings uh, to modern processors, two features of hardware-enforced safety and protection that were part of some computer designs in the relatively early days. That is, tagged memory architecture and capability-based addressing. So capabilities uh, were a hardware-enforced protection mechanism that were featured on some computers, such as the Burroughs Large System and descendants of that 
still around today, like IBM's early System 38 mini computer. These systems flourished before the rise of Unix and Unix-like systems. So the S38 evolved into the AS400, which people might be a bit more familiar with, uh, today known as the IBM i. Um, but the designers of these systems uh, dropped the security mechanism. Similar, uh, the Multics OS, which inspired the creation of Unix, had some uh, comparable features, but they were among the things which Dennis Ritchie and Ken Thompson left out of their smaller, simpler system. The boffins at uh, Cambridge's computer laboratory worked out a way to add capabilities to the Unix uh, in a Unix-compatible way and called it Capsicum, which has been part of FreeBSD since version 9. Um, the new desktop stack runs on an experimental OS derived from FreeBSD called CherryBSD, which can make use of these new hardware facilities on the Cherry-enhanced ARM and RISC-V processors. The project has a, an FAQ website, which explains uh, some more as well as some less technical articles about the design of the OS, although they're not exactly light reading. Um, we particularly recommend reading Chapter 13, Historical Context and Related Works of the technical report they put out, because it kind of puts this all uh, in context. <clears throat> Processor and compiler expert Mark Logan, um, sorry, Mark Morgan Lloyd summarized it for us, saying, "We're trying to not be too rude, but they're quite definite that they consider the industry to have taken a wrong turn in walking away from having fine-grained hardware protections." And you know, a lot of that was about how much work it was going to be to modify software to handle it. But with this, you know, in just a couple of months, being able to show a whole stack of Wayland and Qt and graphics drivers and DRM um, and KDE and all of that working on this shows that they managed to do it in a way that doesn't require rebuilding all software, uh, you know, from scratch. Mm -hmm. uh, so it goes on in older systems such as Multics, code running on the computer's processor had to run in one of many rings. The inner ring had more permissions and controls, and the outer had less. This rings of protection approach is also used in, for instance, Intel chips, which have a limited, simpler version, as we explained in their history of virtualization back in 2011. Most PC operating systems never really used the feature, opting instead to use the CPU's memory management unit, or MMU, and page tables to primarily enforce the access protection. Cherry brings a much more granular level of protections. Programs can be limited to accessing only certain permitted areas of memory. In certain restricted ways, in special hardware tags, uh, those area of memory to limit like uh, what they can be used for, regardless of what the OS's security mechanisms may be tricked into believing. So, in particular, the fact that the hardware knows that buffer should be this long means it won't let the program read past that into other memory and cause uh, a memory disclosure, or write past it and be able to overwrite some and maybe change what the program would have done by overwriting some of its code. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cherry won't make computers cheaper or faster, uh, but breaking the pattern of many modern hardware developments. But if it is successful in its goals, Cherry-flavored computers will be more resistant to exploitation than ordinary ones. We suspect many organizations will be very happy to pay for that. Yeah, very nice work. And again, KDE is a huge piece of software and includes a lot of smaller utilities like I don't know, calculators and notepads and all that. So you can really use this to be productive. Okay, next up, we have a guide for you to run FreeBSD 13.1 release for ARM64 in QEMU 
on Apple Silicon Mac. A lot of people have uh, worked on this or tried to port this since the, uh, was it Asahi Linux made it uh, possible? Well, that one's a little different. That's, that's about being able to run FreeBSD directly on the hardware. Yeah. This is how to run a FreeBSD VM in Mac OS, but with the, all the acceleration. Ah, yeah, yeah, in QMU. Yeah, I see this. Okay. So they provide instructions how to do that. First, you need to install Xcode if you haven't done this already on your Mac anyway. And then you install Homebrew and QMU. Many of you have probably from the, from the Mac camp have probably uh, Homebrew as well already. Uh, you can check your QMU system ARH64-version to see if that provides the proper uh, output. And then download a pre-built EDK2 OVMF EFI image for QEMU. And that is... Right, that basically provides the, the BIOS that will boot things. Mm, yeah, that also is necessary to actually run things. And then you create a PFLASH for non-volatile variable uh, store, such as a screen resolution. So there's a couple of commands listed there. Yeah, so that basically provides a file that's the equivalent of the bit of flash that's built into your motherboard that remembers the BIOS settings. Yeah, in case you want to go back and <laughs> undo things. Right, in particular, so it can remember what resolution you want and any other settings like that. Or uh, FreeBSD can program in, you know, which bootloader to use and, and all the EFI variables that control, you know, what boots when you turn the machine on. Mm -hmm. Okay, then in step five, you download FreeBSD 13.1, the ARM64 raw VM image as the XZ compressed file and decompress that in the next step with unXZ and then it's time to grow the disk image because after you've decompressed the disk image it'll be about 5 gigabytes in size uh, depending on what you plan to do the amount of available space may be a bit low uh, let's grow the disk image by another 30 gigs by QMU image resize and there you can say give it 30 gigs more uh, space but by, by performing this resize before you boot the VM in the first uh, instance, FreeBSD will automatically adjust the partition size during first boot. And step eight has us run FreeBSD for ARM64 VM with the QMU system call that's quite big, but you can copy and paste it from the article and adjust to your needs. Yeah, but basically it uses the host CPU so that uh, you know, you're not emulating anything. It turns on the... Uh, hardware virtualization framework acceleration set how many cores you want it to have and how much memory so they give it four cores and four gigs of memory they set up those p flash files so that you have the read only and the read write uh persistent flash for the bios and then you know they add uh the vertio gpu uh keyboard a tablet for the mouse uh, hd audio and uh and so on, and fire up a hard drive based on uh, that FreeBSD VM image that you downloaded. Mm -hmm. And then it just boots. Yeah, and they have some screenshots to believe the people who are skeptical and provide also a couple of uh, Sysbench performance comparisons for you so you can see what actual uh, CPU power you can now use. Very nice. Yeah, try this out if you want to have a FreeBSD in a QMU uh, on your Mac with this Apple Silicon, which becomes the standard in pretty much the next couple of years. Okay, time for Beastie Bits this week. Uh, we found on undeadly.org an article that in current DH client now just logs warnings and executes ifconfig. Yeah, so this is on OpenBSD. 
and basically says uh, DH client has been undergoing replacement with just if config interface name inet auto uh, for a couple of years, backed by the DHCP leastd uh, daemon, which provides much better DNS handling. The next step is to make the DH client simply exec ve if config in that way, so that anything that just calls DH client will continue to work, and provide syslog warnings about deprecating the options along the way. This way we can find the last few scripts or users that are using DH client and uh, you know figure out what's missing there. For some reason, I always read DHC pleased instead of DHCP please D. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, next up we have a tweet from uh, Lefinoa. Hopefully that's correct. Uh, Dennis Bogart. Yeah, that's, uh, one is the, the handle, the other is the name. Uh, and it's about a freshly installed NetBSD 4.0.1 booting on an 8386DX40, remember those, with four or eight megabytes of RAM in 2022. Ooh, cool. I asked the 4x3 screen uh, ratio. I forget that that was a thing for most <laughs> of my life. Uh, some things you don't miss anymore. Oh, yes, here it goes. From green kernel messages to what are they, white, gray? Something. Right, and then the the blue background for their installer and so oh, on. Oh, yeah, the memories. <laughs> Very cool. And then I see Tom replied. Uh, he's got a picture of his something 40 megahertz machine trying to... Oh, it's a 386DX uh, with 4 megabytes of RAM uh, at least starting to boot FreeBSD. Okay. Then <laughs> it uh, stops or takes too long? I think it's just a picture is while well, it was Twitter. Ah, okay. Yeah, the, the twirling baton. But apparently he cheated and it now has 36 megabytes of RAM. Ah, oh, that's a quick upgrade. <laughs> oh, excellent. And then... While we're on Twitter. Yeah, big news. Uh, ben Woods tweeted, he just added NerdCTL to the FreeBSD ports tree. It says an industry standard container management uh, is coming to FreeBSD. Thanks to Grain Towers, uh, Samuel Karp, and... Uh, Akihiro Suda, uh, for their work on getting FreeBSD support upstreamed into NerdCTL, ContainerD, and RunJ. So with all those pieces in place, you now have the industry standard Docker-compatible CLI uh, available on FreeBSD. Yeah, we've been waiting for that for mm -hmm. a while. Now it's here. Yeah, so all the parts of ContainerD are now uh, ported and available on FreeBSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're getting into container. I mean, we, we never left container land. We yeah. are in, but in jail country. We have <laughs> the the tools that people use elsewhere, which makes it that much easier for people to try out FreeBSD and see how it's better by being able to, you know, use all the, the stuff they're already used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so congratulations. And hopefully this uh, would inspire more work in this area. And as we started these beastie bits with uh, an article from Undeadly, we also close it. This is about even more randomness. Uh, or, yes, or randomizing the randomness a bit. So Damian Miller, uh, who also works on OpenSSH and other stuff, committed a change randomizing the rekeying interval of Arc4 Random's ChaCha20 version. Uh, so this randomizes how frequently uh, Arc4 Random rekeys. Previously, uh, the ChaCha20 instance would be rekeyed every 1.6 megabytes of entropy. Uh, this makes it happen at a random point somewhere between 1 megabyte and 2 megabytes uh, so that it's not always at the same spot. Ah, clever. 
All right. Very good. So uh, this would be the place where you have feedback and questions from us. But we're running a bit low and we're saving that for next week. But uh, this is the spot where we can talk some uh, other things like, remember, there's a EuroBSDCon happening in September if you haven't registered or make booking plans. Yeah, you're going to want to get on top there. of that because, yeah, by the time this episode comes out, you're going to be starting to run up against, uh, you oh, know, yeah. time. Hmm. And so, so that's yeah, we're... a reminder to all of us who are speaking to hurry up and finish your slides. Yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> so we're all looking forward to meeting people again in place, uh, not in video form. It's been yeah, quite it's some been like time. three years since I've seen anybody in person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, we've had one user group meeting last month, finally. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's about it as far as me having seen people in person. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It'll be interesting to see how people have changed and, you know, what stories they have to tell. Yep. And just definitely looking forward to recharging my BSD battery. Oh, yes. With the talks at the conference and the Dev Summit. Well, yeah, just or, getting to talk or, to people about stuff I like to talk about. And, or learn something. Yes. Get a tutorial. Oh, lots offer. of learning and just getting excited about other people's ideas and having new ideas of my own. and <laughs> Bringing home more ideas and work <laughs> than you came to the conference with. Yep. <laughs> but that's what it's supposed to be. That it's a successful conference. Exactly. All right. Anything new from, uh, uh, oh, let's see, OpenZFS or uh -huh. any developments there we should watch out for? Um, DirectIO is getting pretty close. Um, and then at Euro, I'll also be talking about just some performance work I've been doing. Uh, oh, also good. And then, yeah, the, the OpenZFS Developer Summit is also coming up in October. Uh, and so there will be a bunch of talks there about what's been happening in the last year and what's coming up. Ah, yes. Yeah, I guess they look forward to seeing each other as well. Yeah, and like my VDEV properties work is in OpenZFS. Um, but I don't think that's what shipped in 13.1. I don't remember. I don't think so. I think 13.1 hmm. uses 2.1, right? Uh, yeah, that was the impression that I had. So when are these releases happening, are happening on OpenZFS? Is that like a yearly uh, update? Or There's some, definitely uh, meant to be a yearly one. Originally, that was going to be the the major version. So 3.0 would be in a year. But I think based on the amount that change, it'll probably just be called 2.2. Hmm. Yeah, it's difficult with all these other uh projects contributing and making sure that everything works right so well and especially a... you know the difficult one is like trying to align the releases so they work at the right time for downstream releases yeah you know, everyone we using want it. to uh, make sure the release is out and has had enough time that it can be incorporated into the next version of you know freebsd or ubuntu or whatever but everybody's mm -hmm. release cadence is different and you know uh freebsd head can just pull in from OpenZFS kind of on a regular basis, but um, do we want to stop doing that at some point when we're getting close to the release so that we stabilize on, you know, a version that's a release, not uh, just, you know, a snapshot of OpenZFS master branch from, you know, a certain date, but is actually, hmm. you know, 2.3 or something and how to sort all that out. 
Yeah, and then the individual projects also need to add like local operating system specific stuff or uh, most of that happens directly upstream other than like Is not the documentation the... necessarily but okay. like any support code for integration with FreeBSDs like vm or vfs and all that that happens directly upstream uh so that all the test suites and so on in OpenZFS use that uh and you know anytime somebody goes to offer a change it has to pass all the tests on you know a bunch of flavors of linux and FreeBSD. Uh, otherwise, it needs to be fixed before it can be merged. Oh, I see. Okay. And so that depends on, you know, the FreeBSD project keeping the FreeBSD part of it working properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important work. The sooner you catch the bugs, the less chance they have to propagate downstream. Well, yes, this is exactly what we've seen with especially stuff in ports. Uh, if the upstream port uses some kind of FreeBSD CI, where they're testing their software on FreeBSD, you know, every time they commit something, it means that they'll find out about a problem, you know, in hours or a day or two kind of thing. Whereas hmm. if they release a new version of their software and eventually that gets ported to FreeBSD and then we report a problem, you know, maybe that's six months or a year later. Well, the developer who's working on the thing that just broke has been doing something else for a year now and doesn't remember yes. any of the context and maybe doesn't have time to work on it. Whereas if, you know, we can spot that right away, we can fix it. And that's, you know, the same thing here with OpenZFS of making sure that the features work properly on all the operating systems before they get merged so that we never have the problem of, well, this has been merged for a while and it turns out it doesn't work. And that's, we wouldn't want that. Mm, yeah. Leave uh, smaller impact craters. <laughs> Anyway, that's all the show we have for you this week. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Yep. See you then. And yes, remember, send any questions, comments, show ideas, topics, stories you want us to mention, whatever, to feedback at bsdnow.tv. Couldn't have said it better. 